First of all, those of you who are able to be here today and are worshiping God with the people of God, I want to commend you for coming. It's not an easy thing to do to get up. It's not an easy thing to do to get your family up and to get into the car and to not fight on the way. And uh, there are a whole bunch of things that could entice you to do something other than to gather among the people of God. And so I commend you for doing this. This is what your soul needs. You've done the right thing. And uh, you won't get any brownie points with me for being here. Uh, And you won't get any with God, but you will get some with yourself. You're doing your soul good. So good job. This morning I want to read from Galatians 6, 6, 7 through 9, but I'm actually going to read 6 through 10. You'll only have 7 through 9 up there, I believe. Yeah. But I want to put the context around this text. You remember that Galatians is a letter, and as a letter it has a context. You know, what comes after has reference to what came before. And so when we read, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We need to understand what they're talking about, what Paul is talking to the Galatians about when he says this. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up. If you don't, don't worry about it. Um, I'm going to read the verses before and after. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. This is the word of God and it's eternally true. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And so you see that we're talking about giving money to the church for the support of its pastors, particularly who have given you all good things. They're your teachers. You're supposed to share your money with them. And then it says, because... We know that it's always our temptation to spend our money on ourselves and not to give it to the Lord. Paul, being a good father to to the people of the church, says this. He says, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Don't be deceived. And so that must mean that right here we have a tendency to be deceived and to say, oh, come on, other people will provide and You know, I'm poor or I'm rich and I can't afford to tithe or, you know, who knows the deception. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And again, you know, I said earlier, do we read the Bible thinking it applies to us? And my comment here would be, do we read the Bible thinking it has the same concerns we have? In other words, the Bible has wallets and checkbooks and retirement accounts. The Bible was not squeamish about dealing with money. Jesus wasn't squeamish. And the Bible also is entirely capable of dealing with money in such a way as to lay a big, 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 big guilt trip on us about money. (laughs) Because that's what's going on here. You know, in the context of exhorting us to share with those who have taught us so that they're free to do that. In that context, it says, do not be deceived. God is not milked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. 
So it takes money and it puts it in the context of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, you know that we had the Reformation because at the time of the Reformation, Tetzel was doing what? And he was only the most notorious. Tetzel was providing for the building of the Sistine Chapel. And how was he providing for it? He was, had this box there and he said, you know, the minute you put a coin in, a soul will spring free. And of course, what souls do you want to spring free? Well, your mom, right? Everybody wants their mother to escape purgatory, right? And so Rome, the Roman Catholic Church was going around and it was collecting money and telling people that depending on how much money they gave, they would be able to spring people out of the jail of purgatory. And purgatory is not a nice place. And so if you think about it, you think, you know, there's a lot of things that are done to get money, aren't there? Um, you can have the indulgences of the Middle Ages. Uh, you can go into churches today and you can see that people throw their weight around in a church through their money. People still think that they can buy God. There are other people who, and it's, it's not that they want to honor God, it's that they want to be able to be listed on a plaque on the wall. It's that they want to be able to be given an office that they shouldn't have. It's because they want to be able to be the special friends of the pastor. If you have a nice pastor that people want to be friends with. <laughs> Remember, we're talking generally here, you know. Um, and so money is at the center of our lives. And when the Bible addresses it, the Bible addresses it very directly. It's not squeamish about it. I always like to remind you that when you think money should be private as a Christian, you think nobody should know what you give. Nobody should ever talk about what you give. You think nobody should ever consider how much you give before they nominate you for an office. Let me remind you that Jesus sat in the temple, watched the offering plate, and commented on how much different people gave as they put it in the offering plate. <laughs> Doesn't exactly fit our idea of what, how we should handle money, does it? That's private. Well, Jesus also said that uh, praying should be private, but I just prayed publicly and none of you condemned me, did you? So obviously, Jesus has a point in saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does, and saying, pray in the closet. And it doesn't keep us from having accountability for how we handle money. Paul is holding the Galatians accountable for how they're handling their money. And in that context, he brings the ten-ton weight down on their heads. He brings a sledgehammer down on their heads. How does he do that? He does it by pointing out that God has set up the universe to be orderly. There is intelligent design. And the intelligent design is whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now, I was going to use an illustration about this, um, and I was going to use the illustration of growing up with our backyard budding a corn soybean field. It's probably the only thing still in DuPage County that's a corn soybean field. And uh, that field 
every other year had corn or soybeans. And I was going to say, if you sow soybeans, you don't get corn. But in fact, that doesn't work. Because there's always uh, volunteer corn that comes up the next year. You know, so if you go over into our fields over here, you'll see um, that you don't just have soybeans on our fields over here with the farmer that planted them. Um, so, so I'm going to change it, and I'm going to say that if you sow soybeans, you don't have bananas, because that's safe. <laughs> and of course, the point is that the seed that you put in the ground is the fruit that you're going to get. We all know this. You know, we all know that when the farmer plants, he's excited. He may have bought, he may have purchased that uh, seed corn entirely buy a loan from the co-op. But he's excited to put that seed in the ground. And then he waits. He fertilizes, he cultivates, and he waits. And his expectation is that he'll have a return on his investment. Now, this life can be perverse. You can love your husband and he can commit adultery. You can love him very well. You can love your wife and she can be a shrew. You can love her very well. You can save money and the banks can collapse. And the Federal Reserve can collapse. But what God says is the law of cause and effect in this world works. And you have to look at it in the big picture. It does work. But here's the truth. The truth is that the judgment seat of God, it works inscrutably, absolutely, without error. It absolutely doesn't fail at the judgment seat. Did you read in the, in, in the, uh, in the chapter that we were reading earlier, in, uh, in Revelation, what did it say? It said this. It's talking about the judgment of Babylon. And it says in verse 20, you've got this specter of judgment. And many of you are scandalized about this. I try to listen to the Bible through, through your ears. You're scandalized about this in the Bible. And you really want to read it and get done with it because then you've got the Hallelujah Chorus in, in chapter 19. And that's where we want to live. You know, the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, this, this chapter 18 it should be precious to you. Now, why would I say it would be precious to you? Because that's what it says about itself. Look at it. Look, if you have a Bible, look at verse 20 of Revelation chapter 18. In the middle of the specter of judgment, you have this little verse and it says, Rejoice over her. Now, who are they rejoicing over? They're rejoicing over Babylon. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. Because why? Because God is merciful? No, because God has set up the laws of the cosmos to be absolutely, inscrutably, perfectly, absolute just. They never fail. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Now, come on, people. Be honest with me. Have you ever looked forward to the day when... Babylon would be judged and you would be vindicated. Come on, be honest with me. That's good. <laughs> Adam said yes. 
Brandon said, not righteously. Isn't that right? Our best works, our most clear time of witness in our whole life, that the one thing we do where we know it kills us to do and we only do it for the glory of God, for our love for Jesus. That one moment we see our sin, don't we? And yet, what is Babylon the city filled with? Yes, we're sinners. We never do anything that is perfectly righteous. And even the things we do that are good and righteous, we only do by the grace of God. I mean, are, are you with me on that? If you're not with me on that, we're not with, you're not with me on anything. You know, the, the moment that you'd say, now that's Tim Bailey, you know, that is a gift from God. You know, I never forget, you know, it says he who finds a wife finds a good thing, you know, so, so men are supposed to go searching for wives, right? You know, so Tim Bailey, from the time he became an adolescent, began to search for a wife, right? And many years later, I married her. And you know the story if you were here a couple of weeks ago. And then about four years later, I'm reading through Proverbs, and I read this proverb that says what? It says houses and land are an inheritance from your parents, but a prudent wife is a gift from God. And all of a sudden, it hit me like a sledgehammer. My lust had gone searching, and God had given me a prudent wife. I didn't even know I needed a prudent wife. I needed a fox, you know, and God gave me a prudent wife. So even the things that we would like to take pride in that seemed to be godly, that seemed to be an indication that our hearts were in the right place, we're reading the Bible and we see, no, you had nothing to do with it. God gave it to you. And yet here again, we have an exhortation. And if you look all through Scripture, you'll see that the Bible says, Our righteousness, our best righteousness is as filthy rags to God. And yet he is pleased by us. And what you'll see again in chapter 18 is at the very end, you'll see verse 24 says, In in Babylon was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Okay, earlier I asked you, does your heart... Look forward to being vindicated at the judgment seat of God. Do you look for the judgment of Babylon? And Brandon said, not righteously, which by implication he's saying yes, but I realize even that looking forward to is perverted by sin. Well, then I have another question for you. Is there any danger that your blood will be in those streets? In other words, is there any possibility that you will shed your blood, that you will give your body up to die and to have its blood shed for the honor and glory and holiness of Jesus Christ, to be a witness? Or in Greek, martyrius, martyr. The word witness in the New Testament. Now, I bet at this point, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, you know, here in America, we don't need to worry about that. But, you know, I do subscribe to the, you know, to the, I read the blog where they keep track of martyrs around the world. And I say, no, no, no. 
It's impossible to be a Christian in America today without suffering for the gospel. It's impossible. It's impossible. And you say, well, I haven't. And I say, then you're not doing a good job. (laughs) I mean, if you don't suffer for the gospel in the United States of America today, (laughs) you know, you wouldn't suffer in Greece, you wouldn't suffer in Rome, and you wouldn't have suffered with the Aka Indian martyrs. You know, do you really think that America is a Christian nation? Now, if you have to align it with colonial America or Babylon, it's way in the direction of Babylon, right? Now, you might want to argue with me afterwards, and that's fine. And remember, I'm a patriot. I'm not saying this because I'm a hippie and I'm down on America. I love America. All you have to do is go overseas and you love America. Nevertheless, if you don't suffer in this country... For the cause of Jesus Christ. And if you don't raise your children to be willing to die for Jesus, you're not seeing the world you live in. The chapter ends what? In her was found the blood of prophets. And you say, well, yeah, that's what we pay the preacher. I like that old saying, the preacher's the one we pay to be pious to prove it doesn't pay to be pious. You know, he'll be the martyr. Remember, Paul was the one that was always being persecuted, not the Christians, you know. The blood of prophets and of saints, and that's you. You may not be a prophet, but if you're a believer, you're a saint. It's set apart one. It's somebody that belongs to Jesus Christ and all who have been slain on the earth. And I would remind you of the unborn children. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Are you deceived? Remember what it says about righteous Lot as he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah? Tim, tell them what it says. Yes, his righteous soul was tormented. The United States is Sodom and Gomorrah. Not San Francisco, Bloomington. Another translation puts it that he gnashed his teeth. Do you gnash your teeth at the seduction and the wickedness that's around you, that's on the television? I got a clue for you. Don't go to football or basketball games because there's nakedness. Go to soccer games. There's none. I mean, seriously, shouldn't we talk about these things? You go to soccer games, you don't have to look at naked women. You say, oh, get your mind out of the gutter. Nobody's thinking that when they look at cheerleaders. You need to have a talk with your papa, woman. 
It's obvious your father never loved you enough to tell you what the minds of men are seduced by. Those cheerleaders are there for a reason. You know how you're watching a game on television and BAM! All of a sudden a shot up. Not down, but up at the cheerleaders. Righteous Lot gnashed his teeth. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will you also reap. We are so deceived today that the principal evangelical who preaches Scripture in our country, when HIV positive men began to die, began to die, that preacher said, AIDS is not a judgment from God. And yet right here it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The man that sows to his sinful nature. And, you know, when I read something like that, what I think is, am I the only idiot in this country? (laughs) You know? I mean, how could anybody tempted by homosexuality who's male read that and not thank God for that warning that will keep them from dying? Duh! (laughs) You know? What a wonderful gift from God. Don't be deceived. You go on Craigslist and you find a partner to couple up with. God will not be mocked. If you sow to your sinful nature, from that nature you will reap destruction. And would you believe me if I told you that when I meet with people from this church and they tell me they're going on Craigslist and they tell me that they are having sex with other men they don't know, Would you think that I was a fool to have warned them that their soul and their body was in danger of death? Do you understand that? So now, you say, well, I'm not tempted by homosexuality. I say, what about adultery? You think you can scoop fire into your lap and not get burned? You think you can look at it in the privacy of your own home on your computer screen, but you can keep your marriage intact. Be not deceived. Can a man scoop fire into his lap? Now, I'll bet you half of you men don't even know where that's from. Scooping fire into your lap. I'm getting aggressive. (laughs) Okay? It's just out of curiosity. How many of you think you know where that is and could find it within 30 seconds? Raise your hand. Come on, raise it. Come on, get them up there. Okay. One of you, call out where it is. What book is it in? And what part of Proverbs is it in? Chapter 6, says Brandon. Now, let me tell you, if Brandon knows the specific chapter it's in and you don't, Brandon is wise, you're a fool. Because the economy of the United States of America is set up to get you to spend money to scoop fire into your lap. Right? You know that, right? Am I the only idiot in here? Our economy is based on sex. Be not deceived. Everybody in this country is going to try to get you to not make generalizations about sodomites and about adulterers and about fornicators. 
Everybody's in the country is going to try to get you to say that intravenous drug users and, and, and over in Africa, um, heterosexuals and some in this country and even people who you have no idea that, that, that there are many, many, many different ways that you can get AIDS. Be not deceived. If you're tempted by homosexuality and you're involved with other men, God has set up the economy, in other words, the household rules of his universe in such a way that it does matter what you do with your body parts. And he intends you to pay if you don't use them as he's designed them. Okay? Do not be deceived. Money, sex, pride, If you spend your life building your pride, from your pride you will reap destruction. Now, how does that work? Well, in the first service I was talking about certain men that think what it means to be the head of their home means that they don't ever get rebuked by their wives. And do you know what happens to a man whose wife never rebukes him? He becomes brittle through lack of uh, what, it, what would it be? You know, it's like a, a, a baseball mitt. You know, you put lean seed oil on it and massage it and pretty soon it's workable and you can get the ball and catch it. A husband that doesn't have a wife that rebukes him and doesn't have a wife that challenges him and points out his errors gets brittle through lack of training and use. And pretty soon he's a dictator in his own home, isn't he? And pretty soon his children don't really like him, do they? They might kiss him and call him Papa, but they don't really like him. And instead of being a father, he becomes a king, doesn't he? Well, I'm not saying all kings are like that, but you know what I'm saying. He becomes this, this jerk. Now, don't worry. I believe that women should submit to their husbands. But there's submission and there's submission. You know? And uh, Hemingway said that the man that marries the woman that loves him instead of the woman that he loves is not a man. And, and what that shows is that a man should marry a woman that is a challenge. And a man that doesn't marry a woman that's a challenge is what? Sowing to his own flesh. He wants a sycophant. He wants a woman that adores him and worships him. Do you think Sarah worshipped Abraham as she called him Lord? This brave man that every time he goes into a kingdom pawns her off as being his sister so that he won't get killed by the king. So what? Do you sow to your pride? You set up your home and your marriage and your relationships with your students and with your congregation. You set it up in such a way that nobody ever challenges you. You never get rebuked. You're never humble. You're never meek. You guys all know people like that. And what happens as they get older, what happens? The only people that are around them are there because he pays them or because they have a duty? 
Do you want to die in the hospital bed surrounded by people you're paying that have a duty to be there? When David Canfield is on his deathbed? There won't be one person there, not even the nurses that are there because they're getting paid. We'll be there because we love him. You know, this last week I was with somebody and there was a group of us. And we were just talking about our love for David. I called you David. That was a Freudian slip. I call you. What did I call you? Oh, okay. David Canfield. And, uh, you know, you don't think of men talking about their love for people when they're alone. And especially their love for a man. Everybody who's ever done anything with David Canfield loves him, except his wife. (laughs) She loves him. This week they were at our house, and we have a big couch. And her body was folded into his in a room of about 25 people. So what? You're setting up a cult to yourself in your own home? And what? Your degree is part of the cult, you know? I will be able to put letters after my name. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against letters. Some of my best friends have letters. <laughs> that was twisted. I'm sorry. I, I'm playing with your head. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I don't have any objection. You know, if I go to a, somebody to have my body treated, I want an MD after his name. You understand that? I don't have anything against letters, except letters that are precisely for the purpose of giving you pride. There's been a big movement among pastors today to getting a degree called a doctorate of ministry. And there was a professor at my seminary who had his doctorate, um, and he was a godly man. And so, because he was godly, he was earthy. Because godly people don't take our pride and pomp and circumstance seriously. And one day he said that he abhorred the, 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 the huge trend among pastors today uh, to get the degree. And he referred to it as, as the fad of demon possession. Because that's the name of the degree, a demon. D-M-I-N. Now that man was not making a joke of Satan. What he was saying is that he felt this was an evil thing. Now, why would it be evil for pastors to get doctorates? Because you begin to trade on your status instead of your service. Does that make sense to you? I was just talking to a guy yesterday or the day before yesterday who got fired from his job recently. And he was talking about getting a a further degree. And I said to him, well, one of the good things about going on and getting a further degree is that um, it really doesn't matter how good you are at your job because the degree will get you a job. Now, does that sound like something you want on the part of pastors? (laughs) 
the first thing the search committee asks is, do we want a man with a doctorate? And everybody says, oh, yes. Because then he'll be able to minister to us on, on the level that, <coughs> you know, we, <coughs> in a university, <coughs> you know, we in a university community need to be ministered to, right? You need a D-men, right? Right? I'm not against degrees. David has a doctorate, right? And I've never been critical of that, have I? I mean, we don't bring it up in elders' meetings and make you vote last, do we? (laughs) What? Oh, yeah, on wine and communion, we did make him vote last and we voted him down. (laughs) So if you agree with him, let us know. Let's not get specific here, David. (laughs) Okay, so you look at money, the Bible's specific, and the Bible says if you're not willing to sow to the Spirit, then from the flesh you'll reap discretion. And what happens is moth and rust are going to destroy it. You're going to have that hot tip on the stock market, and you're going to eat a million dollars. You're going to make the sale of your company, and some person is going to come in and before you know it they're going to destroy the thing you built with your life you're going to build a church and you're going to get ready to be proud sitting there in the goat farm close to your former church and all the rich educated people in town and then you're going to vomit out what you built You're going to build a house. And what happens as soon as you build a house with your wife? What happens? Amos, the house you live in. Glorious house. The couple that built it, what? They got divorced the year that they finished building it. And if it isn't divorce, it's a fire. And if it isn't a fire, you lose your job and you have to move. That's what happens when you build a house. Now, come on. Understand, degrees aren't bad. Nice homes aren't bad. Money isn't bad. But sowing to the flesh is bad. With money, with sex, with pride. And the Bible says don't be deceived. So that must mean you're in danger of being deceived. You know what really bugs me about us as biblical Christians? Forget the liberals. Biblical Christians who honor the Word of God. You know what bugs me about us? We think that it's honorable, in fact, even spiritual and pious to be gullible. And we quote 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, love believes all things. You know? And so somebody tells us that, you know, um, if we buy lottery tickets, you know, we'll win the lottery. And, and we think, well, the government wouldn't lie to me. And we go to the corner convenience store and we buy lottery tickets and our chances of winning the lottery are about the same of walking out of the convenience store and finding our Corolla turned into a Maserati. I mean, that's about 
the chance you have with the lottery. And we just buy the lottery tickets. Or if you go into casinos, don't do it if you have a gambling problem, but just go into a casino and walk up and down the aisles. They're absolutely filled. The lights are going. The things are spinning. The sounds are blaring. You know, you don't ever have to move your posterior. And you just do it and do it and do it. And the whole place is filled with what? People who, by constant use have trained themselves to discern between good and evil. Do you notice that I'm quoting from Hebrews? In other words, people who are older and who life has made wise, they're the ones that fill casinos. Everybody in there has gray hair. Everybody. Do not be deceived. God will not be knocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. If you sow to your sinful nature financially, you will lose your money and you will face God and it will be clear that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you sow to your sexual lusts, you will be destroyed by them. And what will happen when you stand before God? You will give an accounting. If you sow to your pride and your whole life is about pride, all right, you run your home like a cult and your wife is a sycophant. You know, she just worships you. She thinks everything you do is wonderful. The day will come when the way you've sown will be clear and you will stand before God and you will give an account for it. Now, remember how I started by saying none of our works honor God. Every single one of them is corrupt. And so consequently, um, if you do sow to the Spirit, the reason you do that is why? Because you love Jesus and because the Holy Spirit has changed you. <laughs> so the answer to this sermon is not to go out there and try harder to sow to the Spirit. The answer is to give your heart to Jesus and to live by faith and to say to him, what? What do you say to him? A man this week was talking to me and telling me that he got caught recently in internet pornography. And of course, he waited to tell me this until after the struggle was over. You know, that's always safe with the preacher. You, you tell him right after the problem's done so that you can come clean. You know, you don't want to come to a preacher dirty. Don't ever do that. Now, I'm being sarcastic. You know, we should know that the time to come to God is when we're dirty when we're in the mud and we need a hand to lift us out, we should come to the preacher, we should come to our elders and our moms. When we're dirty, not wait until we're clean. But anyhow, I was happy he came. I'm very happy you came. Thank you very much. And I'm not looking at him. Um, but when he told me how he got clean, you know what was at the center of it? When he finally broke down and went to God, what wooed his heart away from sinful flesh? What was it? Huh? It was worship. It was worship. When he loved Jesus, that love purified his heart. Now, it's not that love makes us ready for heaven like the Roman Catholics teach. We're heaven because of Christ. But the love does sanctify us. 
And so if this morning you see you're sowing to the flesh with money and sex and pride, that that's what your life is about, I encourage you to worship. It is the antibiotic that gets you to sow to the Spirit. Give yourself to worship, the work of worship. Give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to God. And what is the promise? Well, if you look at the text, it says, the one who sows to the Spirit, woe from the Spirit, reap eternal life. And then it says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And so this is the Bible. It's always telling us, have faith, everything is of God, and it's always telling us, get yourself in gear. It's a gift. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the truth is, as you obey both sides of that, your heart will be wooed and weaned. You know, you will become a lover more of God and you will become those who gnash their teeth at the things, the evil that surrounds you. Now, one final pastoral note that's not the sermon. 